A new dawn is coming to the U.S. stock market, and it's time to throw out the investment blueprint of the last decade and prepare for a massive shift. If you've lost money over the past two years, this changes everything. Hi, my name is Mark Chaikin, and I was hired to create three new indices for the NASDAQ based on what I've learned in 50 years on Wall Street. So believe me when I tell you this shift could send dozens of stocks soaring sky high in just the next 90 days. But this is an extreme setup I haven't seen in years, since before the 2020 crash. The last time this happened, you could have more than tripled your money by just owning one stock. And I'm revealing this number one stock to buy today, 100% free of charge at newaistock.com. The question is why? Because everyday Americans will be impacted mostly by what's coming. And I want you to be on the right side of the table when this shift happens. Don't delay. Just visit www.newaistock.com. Hey, if you want a firearm that is easy to transport, you got to check out the U.S. Survival Rifle from our friends at Henry Repeating Arms. Now, it is a portable rifle that you can put together, take apart in just minutes. And then when you're not using it, you can store the parts in the little case that it comes in. It's so small, you can store it pretty much anywhere. And it's light enough to carry everywhere. Now it comes in black and two different camo patterns, and you can pick one up for three to four hundred bucks depending on the finish. Check out their videos. Go to their website. It's one word, henryusa.com slash survival. And while you're there, make sure you order their free catalog. Now Henry makes more than two hundred rifles and shotguns and revolvers, all made in America, all backed by a lifetime satisfaction guarantee and the best customer service in the business. Go to their website, henryusa.com. Get their free catalog. They'll send you free decals and a list of dealers where you are. That's henryusa.com. Free catalog decals for the Henry U.S. Survival Rifle. Hey, when you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about those out-of-pocket costs. Now, that can be a lot of money, but are your medical bills accurate? Now, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills actually contain errors. Now, HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, or fraud. Now, you can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Now, to date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Check them out online, HealthLock.com. Go there today. This is the Sean Hannity Show. Podcast. You know, attention to detail is critical when you own your own business, so use LegalZoom.com for the legal details. Now, their network of independent attorneys licensed in 48 states, well, they know local laws and can provide answers to your legal questions. LegalZoom.com is not a law firm, so you won't pay by the hour. Just use Hannity One when you check out and save even more. LegalZoom.com. All right, welcome to the Sean Hannity Show. That, of course, is not the voice of Sean Hannity. Your friend Dan Bongino. Good to be back at Bongino on Twitter for comments, criticisms, hate mail, glowing praise, whatever you'd like to send my way. I'll take it. And of course, if you'd like to call the show, you all know the number, 1-800-941-7326, 800-941-SEAN. Broadcasting from the mighty WDBO down here in the great state of Florida, where the sun is always shining, and if it's not, just wait 20 minutes. It'll come out. Had a good workout this morning, ready for the show, ready to fire some bombs on the left right now. Did my kettlebells, a little bit of tabata sprints, the blood's flowing. I know I, I like the MMA stuff, like when Sean talks about it too. So that was, I can't do it anymore. Bad joints, a little bit of arthritis. 
But I'm feeling good about today's show. I'm a contributing editor over at conservativereview.com if you want to check out uh, some of my work. And I am a uh, relief pitcher on talk radio, kind of like Dan Quisenberry for all you Kansas City Royal fans. Remember him? Remember he used to submarine? You know, he was a relief pitcher for the Royals back in the 80s. And he had a very unique throwing motion that made him very difficult to hit. He would submarine it. I was always wondered how his shoulder stood up over time. But all right, getting back into my topic, because we don't we only have three hours to get a lot of material across today. So today I, I wrap up my workout and I'm I'm home. I just want to kind of give you a, an idea of how these topics brew in my head so you see how I came to this. So I come home, I'm I'm doing my post workout routine and I'm listening to the radio, and I hear this story about minimum wage protests happen. I think they were in California. A protest for, you know, McDonald's and, and fast food workers for a $15 an hour wage. And I'm listening and I'm like, there you go. That's what we're going to talk about today in the show. Not minimum wage. We're going to talk about this narrative battle we're having with the left and how, folks, if you think we're fighting a fight with the left over results, you're out of your mind. They don't care about results. And the minimum wage news story I heard before I came on the air today just reminded me of that, that there is nothing you can say to the far left. I'm not talking about all Democrats. Take a breath. I'm talking about the far left, the organized far left that has hijacked the Democratic Party. These people don't care about results, folks. The human toll they will take on people to get across their control agenda, and I'll get to this narrative thing in a second, is incalculable. They don't care. The minimum wage fight, think about this, right? Let's just walk through this logically. Minimum, how easy this is to understand. Now, if you're a leftist and you've taken the facts vaccine, you are immune to facts. I get it. This is not for you. I'm talking about reasonable people who are interested in discussing economic policies at work, economic policies that don't, and people who just want to make sense of the world, okay? Let's just use a very simple analogy I've used repeatedly on the air. Say you have a lemonade stand, right? Let's make this super simple. And in that lemonade stand, you will make an additional $10 an hour if you hire one more person to serve people who want lemonade. Everybody tracking? Even our liberal friends, you got it? Hire one more person, make $10 more an hour. What is that person's labor worth to you? Now, the conservatives are probably laughing, going, of course, $10 an hour, because it's very easy for us. I get it that many liberals are perplexed right now. But the labor is only worth $10 an hour because if you hire a person for $15 an hour who is only worth to you in your lemonade stand $10 an hour, newsflash, folks, it's called arithmetic, you lose $5 an hour. Again, this is not complicated to conservatives and libertarians and good Republicans. This is only complicated to the left. Now, the results of $15 an hour To show you how the leftists, folks, they don't care about results. Get this out of your head. They care about an agenda of control. To control your money, control your health care, control your education, control you through division politics, control you through manipulating the language. The far left cares only about control. Results don't matter. So I pulled up a piece from Forbes about this $15 an hour minimum wage in Seattle. And here's this, a woman in Seattle who actually works there. She says, hey, I've had to let one person go since April 1st. I've cut hours since April 1st. I've taken them myself because I don't pay myself, she says. I've also raised my prices a little bit, but here's the kicker. But there's no other way to do it. 
Again, this is not shocking to conservatives. This is a business owner. By the way, that article was by uh, Tim Warstall. And the title is, and here, uh, and here is, as we said, the effect of Seattle's $15 an hour minimum wage on employment. Shocking, no conservative. People are laying off workers in Seattle because they don't have the money. Folks, the left does not care. You can walk up to them and present them the human examples of people who have lost their jobs in Seattle due to this minimum wage hike, and they simply don't care. They have been immunized to facts, and they have an excuse for everything. They will make up some bizarre reason why this uh, there was a an, or it was a, a a tsunami seven years ago off the coast of this country and it affected something and it affected the El Nino and the El Ninos they, they you, it will be so torturous you'll be like scratching your head going huh what that's their goal they want to confuse you so I wrote a piece over um, at Conservative Review a little while ago and I and I posed an open challenge to my liberal friends. I use that term loosely. I said, listen, if you really believe in something, I'd like you to answer these three questions. So I have a few questions. But to frame it, I want to I just nail this down for you. We are right now in this election coming up, whether it's at the congressional level, state level, federal level, presidential, whatever it may be. We are not having the traditional fights we always had. The traditional fights we had with the JFK Democrats were, all right, you know, it's your money, business is good, but maybe we can raise the tax rates a little higher was the Democrat position. Maybe the Republican position was, you know, let's hold fast. Uh, The position on health care was, of course, we should control our own health care, but maybe we should have a safety net. These are the old fights. These are not the fights we're having now. Folks, those fights are over. They are long gone. The fights we're having now with the new far left activist wing of the Democratic Party which has hijacked the entire party. It's now the Pelosi, Sanders, Clinton brand, Obama now too as well, of course. They are, they're not fighting those fights. Their legitimate position, what they think is legitimate, is a conflicting narrative from ours. Here's our, our narrative, what guides conservatives and libertarians. That government is by nature a necessary evil, that we're going to have some areas of mass consensus, the military, a court system. We're going to have to finance that through taxes. But everything should be done to keep government with as small a footprint in our lives as possible because the idea of being ruled, and we're all sinners, by other sinners in the government is an idea we don't like. So we live under a constitutional republic and a limited government constitution, which limits what's the government, what the government can do to us. And we will work together and do things voluntarily to create a better tomorrow through our church, through our neighborhood, through local community organizations. And we will provide for some framework of national defense, provides for some network of, of, of interstate roads, a court system and that kind of stuff. Areas of generally mass consensus, right? That's the conservative position. It's not complicated. The idea that individual liberty matters that the guiding force in our lives should be god family community your neighborhood your local neighborhood and what i'll talk to zach dasher about later the idea of subsidiarity that government should be kept local it should be kept accountable and that the federal government should have a light footprint in our life i'll make the case to you that 40 or 50 years ago actually you know let's go back pre-fdr that that was probably some semblance of the Democrat position, too. Folks, those days are over. 
The narratives now between Democrats and Republicans can no longer coexist. It is a bifurcated fork in the road. The narrative now with the Democrats is we will work together because the government will force you to do it. The government wants your money. You didn't build that. Remember that one on the economy? The Obamacare, which, of course, is an absolute epic disaster. The idea that the government should tell insurance companies at what price they should sell their product to who, at what cost. The idea that the public education system should be monopolized. The idea that the language should be under control of the, of the government, that they should stigmatize certain uh, – look at the, uh, the transgender fight right now in North Carolina. The idea now is if it's not done by government, it's not to be done at all. That was never, ever – that was never the conflict of narratives in the past. But it is the conflict now. So throughout the course of the show, I'm, I have these three questions, and I'm going to prove my point here, that they don't care about results. They care about control. Their narrative is control. Their narrative is to take control of your money. They don't care about the results of the tax hikes. They don't care that it crushes the economy. They know it does. All they care about is controlling the tax dollars, not necessarily uh, any kind of growth, prosperity, anything like that. They don't care about your health care. They care about control of your health care. They don't care about your kid's education, but they do care about controlling it. And I'm going to propose these three questions and i'm going to show you how the standards always change because it's not about results standards always change for the left that is because it's not about results to them it is about control and when you wake up to that every single thing obama does and the far left makes sense it's like david horowitz said a long time ago when you understand that the left are anti anti anti-communists it all makes sense You need to take control of your family and assets. Now, it sounds like common sense, but too many people procrastinate instead of getting an estate plan before it's too late. Now, with LegalZoom.com, there's no reason to put it off any longer. Now, you don't have to figure out on your own whether you need a will or a living trust and what's best for you. Instead, you work with an independent attorney, now available in 48 states. Now, they'll walk you through your options and recommend an estate plan that offers the best solution to fit your needs. And since LegalZoom is not a law firm, well, you can count on efficiency and value. Everything is on your schedule, your terms, plus you know what your estate plan bundle costs up front instead of worrying about high hourly rates. Now, that's how LegalZoom has become the leader in helping families with their legal needs. You get the legal help, and you walk away feeling great about it. So don't leave the most important decisions that you can make in the hands of other people. Take control of your family's future with an estate plan bundle at LegalZoom.com today. Just use Hannity One when you check out and save even more. LegalZoom.com. All right, welcome back to the Sean Hannity Show. Dan Bongino, contributing editor at Conservative Review, talk radio pinch hitter. And by the way, shameless plug of the uh, umpteenth order, author of the new book, The Fight. A Secret Service Agent, that was me. A Secret Service Agent's Inside Account of Security Failures and the Political Machine, if you want to pick it up on Amazon. My inside take on why we keep blowing it in Washington, D.C. I haven't been a candidate and uh, a Secret Service Agent behind the 18-acre fence of the White House. So check it out if you want. Appreciate everyone who picked it up. They made us a New York Times bestseller. Thanks a lot. By the way, during the break, I have kind of a double whammy here with the whole hand situation. Obviously, with a last name like Bongino... Uh, I'm Italian. You could probably tell. I'm actually Italian and Irish. My mother's uh, Irish. But I used to box as well. So I I, I don't tell you that because I want to be a tough guy. I just tell you that because we tend to talk with our hands Italians. And if you box, and I know our boxer friends are listening out there. I know we have them out there and the MMA guys. 
you always find yourself like shadow, don't you? Shadow boxing. You're practicing your jab, your cross, your hook, your combos. So I talk with my hands, number one. And then number two, I love to like shadow box. So during the break, I'm, I'm down here in the studio and people are walking by and they're like, what is this guy doing in there? I'm like, shadow boxing. I got a couple of looks. Is he okay in there? Is he gonna, should, we, should we dial 911? I'm all right. I just, it's the hand thing. It's burning off excess energy. All right. With us now. From uh, Breitbart, London, the editor-in-chief is uh, our friend Rahim Kassam. Rahim, how are you? Good. How are you? Very good. Happy to have you on. I want to talk about your story here at Breitbart. Let me give the headline out. Report. Migrants committing disproportionately high crime in Germany. Shocking here. While media and government focus on, quote, far-right thought crimes. Give us a synopsis of what you're seeing. Well, you know, Dan, when I first looked at this story, as it was briefed out by the German Interior Ministry, I sort of shrugged my shoulders in the same way um, you sort of verbally did just now, which is, you know, shocker that Germany, uh, which has welcomed in well over one and a half million um, illegal migrants over the last year, has experienced uh, a rise in, in, in a lot of different types of crime. Um, and we've been documenting those on, on our Migrant Crisis live blog on Breitbart London, focusing really on what's, what's been going on in the small towns, small villages, um, and in fact, of course, the cities right across Germany. But the reason this was so interesting, and I think the reason that a lot of people were so uh, angered by, by what came out here, is that when Thomas de Mazier, the, the interior minister, got up to release these stats and speak about them, he actually told people the top line of this press release is that far-right crimes are skyrocketing in Germany. Well... When you dig into the figures, and let me tell you something, for, for an right. Englishman like me, it's no fun digging into 135 pages of stats in <laughs> German, right? right. <laughs> There's absolutely no fun in that. But once you go through them line by line, and we took a long time to do this, luckily we have German speakers on staff, and we were able to go through these figures. What it actually shows is that the far-right crimes that they're talking about skyrocketing are things like propaganda crimes, in inverted commas, things like sedition, in inverted commas. This is basically where people are holding up banners outside of newly built asylum centers in small towns and villages across Germany and saying, actually, we don't want this government policy. They're calling that a crime, a hate crime, sedition, a propaganda crime. That's how they're moving this statistic. The real well, Raheem, let me, when, let me interrupt you. Yeah, that's an important sure. point you just made. So what you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is you have a disproportionate amount of actual, I don't, want to, I don't know how to call it, material, physical crime, like burglaries, uh, muggings, yeah. larcenies on the street happening by people who have come to the country recently in this migrant class that are happening in high numbers. And the German government, through maybe a left-leaning propaganda machine, is saying, oh, but there's a lot of crime on the right, too, because people are essentially, what, protesting? Like it's a thought? Is that, is that where we're going with this? That is, I mean, this that is, is disturbing. Exactly, that is that is exactly where we are at the moment. And so that the you know, American listeners can understand exactly how devious this whole thing is, don't forget what's going on with Facebook in this country at the moment. Uh, well, around the world, really, at the moment. And it was Facebook that Angela Merkel met with, and they agreed to make sure that opposition to migration was not given as much uh, airtime, let's say, on Facebook as, as it was getting before that, you know, suppressing this protest. And you're right to point out that actually, proportionally speaking, non-German and illegal immigrants in Germany account for maybe between 10 and 
3% of the population. We don't really know the exact figure. How could you when you have porous borders? Um, but they, it accounts for about that much. But when you look at the total number of offences, 30%. Uh, cause in 2015 by non-Germans and illegal migrants or asylum seekers, 30% of homicides, 20% of sexual assaults, 40% of robberies, 75% of pickpocketing and purse snatching, counterfeiting, smuggling, forgery, they all outstrip by a long, long way the proportion of non-German migrants and illegals in the country. And actually nobody is talking about this. Instead, what they're talking about is the far right. Well, Rahim, you know, you kind of fit in nicely with the my narrative in the last hour. I was talking about how the left, the, the modern far left, I'm talking about globally, not just within the United States, the modern far left and all these groups associated with them, they're fascinated with this idea of control and by, they have to control the message. So w- where I want to go with this uh, is it seems to me that when they triage their responsibilities, the German government, instead of just being honest, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, and saying, listen, we did this as some benevolent gesture. Clearly, there's been some negative fallout. There's been an uptick in street crime. We're going to try to fix this. That's not their priority. Their first priority from reading your piece at Breitbart, which is fantastic, by the way. Um, Thank you. Their priority is propagandizing and lying to the German people first to make sure that what they think is really happening, what they see, isn't really happening. I mean, is this, am I crazy? It, no, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, I don't want to say it. I don't like to say it. But I, I do feel like that is what is going on. When you have the interior minister standing up, presenting a report and saying, hey, guys, check out all this new crime stats we've got. Uh, and, and he leads with, in, you know, an increase in far right crimes. Well, let me tell you something. If you even dive into the far right versus far left crimes that they do uh, separate in this report, you will actually see that, again, while the far right quote-unquote, crimes outstrip the number of far-left crimes. Again, what the left crimes are are physical assault, violence towards police officers, um, uh, you know, vandalism. What the far-right crimes are are things like shouting, holding up a sign that might insult someone. So again, they've they've skewed it even within the confines of the left versus right political debate, you know, parking the migrant thing completely to one side. And the question then arises, and I'm sure listeners are asking, why? Why is the German government doing this to its own people? And there are a lot of different uh, uh, arguments that arise out of this. I said in, in the middle of last year that Angela Merkel was intent on creating very, very uh, a, a huge amount of low-skilled, low-paid uh, workers to shore up the German economy, to shore up Germany's declining population rates. And sure enough, Yesterday, the German government, and again with another announcement, says that they are parking 100,000 low-skilled jobs aside for migrants. There's 100,000 Germans immediately who are going to be displaced from low-skilled work just because of this migrant crisis. Well, Rahim, let me ask you this. Is there any significant popular backlash that, that would have an electoral consequence? I mean, I know Merkel's having a lot of trouble, but... You know, having a, Barack Obama's had a lot of trouble with Obamacare, <laughs> the economy, and it hasn't right. seemed to affect him. You know, his approval ratings 50 percent, which I can't find these 50 people out of 100, but whatever. Is there enough popular backlash to have an electoral consequence that would make a difference in the country's future politics? Well, firstly, let me tell you something. I'm out in California at the moment and I can find those 50 people. All right. <laughs> oh, them right here for You're you. surrounded okay. by them, man. Yes, that's right. 
Um, yes and no is the answer to your question, which, of course, is a frustrating answer. But the fact is that the reason that the German government are doing things like this report and couching, you know, far right in this way um, is because they are trying to suppress what is a growing force on the political center right uh, in the groups like Alternative for Deutschland, which had three major election victories in local elections just a couple of months ago against Merkel's party, against the Pegida movement, which is the anti-Islamization street movement, um, which is seeing 20 thousand people out on the streets every week protesting against these policies and what they're trying to do with this report is very clear to me is show that these people are beyond the pale they're responsible for most of the crime in germany nobody should be affiliated with them if you are a moderate center of the road voter you should not be affiliated with these people and and for a lot of the you know uh, differences between europe and america that's kind of what you see going on here now as well a lot of the, you know i see parallels in a lot of the trump stuff i see parallels with a lot of the stuff in the united kingdom um, with, with what's going on in Germany now as well. The only difference is, and it's a huge difference, is that Germany is very, very sensitive to the term far right for obvious reasons. Yeah, Germans yeah, of course. balk when they think, and, and you know, maybe rightly so, but they balk when they feel like there might be something overtly nationalistic going on inside their country. And so that is what the, the establishment is now playing to. But I've got to tell you, my prediction on this whole thing is if Germany doesn't get a grip on this stuff, you know, this is a failed state in 25 years time. If, if, if your first thing when you walk into the country is that you walk in and commit a crime because you're breaching that border and you're told, hey, don't worry about it. Don't worry about the law. Here's a house. We'll look after you. And what sort of impact does that give? What sort of signal does that give to these people? Well, we, we're seeing it now. They're not caring about the law. Yeah. Yeah, Raheem, thanks a lot for coming on today. I really thanks. appreciate it. Very informative interview. Pleasure. Thanks a lot. Folks, that was uh, Raheem Kassam. His, check out his article. It's at Breitbart. It's called uh, Report, colon. <laughs> There's another host says, I love calls. Migra- uh, migrants committing disproportionately high crime in Germany, while media and government focus on far-right thought crimes. Incredible. All right, welcome back to the Sean Hannity Show. Dan Bongino, contributing editor over at Conservative Review, filling in for Sean today, taking a little break. I am at Bongino on Twitter if you want to send me a tweet. Make sure you follow Sean as well, at Sean Hannity. He has just a tad bit more followers than I do. All right, this is going to be a, a fascinating interview. I, uh, I read this story. Lauren sent it over, and I was kind of floored by it. Uh, it's a story from foxnews.com by uh, Holly McKay. It's May, uh, from May 23rd, 2016. Let me just read the headline here. Iraqi American lawyer facing prison for immigration fraud claims he was targeted for aiding Christians. So on the line now, I have Robert D. Kaleda and Narain Anwaya. Robert is an attorney, an Iraqi American attorney, and Narain is an Assyrian American Christian activist. So, Robert, give us a little background on the story. And why you think this is of interest to the audience based on the targeting, you feel that you were targeted for helping out uh, Syrian Christians uh, in Iraq. Well, thank you very much, uh, first of all, Dan, uh, for uh, uh, having me on your show. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, of course, um, an important story. I, um, I'm an Assyrian Christian, uh, born in Iraq, uh, came to the United States uh, at a young age educated here in the United States, and uh, I served a large part of the uh, Christian community um, seeking asylum. And it's important to point out that uh, I helped people remain in the United States and not come to the United States. So there's a little bit of a uh, uh, misperception as to what I did. I didn't have people come in. In other words, 
I wasn't involved in the refugee process, more of the asylum process. And the difference is you seek asylum when you're in the United States, you seek refugee status when you're outside trying right. to come in. And over the years, um, I represented many Christians seeking asylum from Iraq and Syria and Egypt. And um, I feel, uh, as many people feel in, in the community here in Chicago and Detroit and other places in the United States, that um, there's something to the motivation of the government in going after these people who are very peaceful people who are seeking um, to be reunited with their families or seeking refuge from countries which are essentially failed states, uh, Syria and Iraq, uh, especially when it comes to the Christian minority, to the Assyrian Christian minority, natives of these countries who have been around for thousands of years and who are slowly being displaced at a very fast rate, rapid rate, since 2003. So there's a question as to why the Department of Justice was motivated to pursue a what amounted to an eight-year investigation. Um, I've serviced probably more than five, 4,000 clients over a period of 20 years, uh, many of them, uh, most of them, if not all of them, decent people, hardworking people living all across the United States. Uh, and out of these, they selected a group of nine uh, to basically point the finger from something like 15 years ago um, a period of 15 years ago or 10 years ago, uh, to say, you know, Robert made us do it, essentially uh, to claim that I had told them to say something or I had told them not to say something. Right. And I felt that uh, this was a, uh, and I still feel, uh, that there's, uh, I'm not questioning the legal process and not in any way saying that it's okay to lie um, in any sure. kind of proceeding. Uh, I'm an attorney. I know what the rules are. I know what the law is. And that's not the issue. The issue is, what was the Department of Justice motivated by to target the Christian community, uh, a Christian community that has suffered so much displacement, genocide 100 years ago? Um, In fact, the State Department declared that the Christian community suffered uh, a genocide at the hands of ISIS uh, just a couple of years ago. uh, Right, and we had to pull that out of them, though, too. That wasn't even... You know, easy that, to get done. I, I think no, there's an ideological no, blindness to what's going on over there. And and you're right to point to that because I think the ideological blindness. Anytime you mention the word Christian, uh, you're categorized as being uh, a conservative, a right wing uh, extremist, uh, and so on. And I think that's completely unfair. I think the plight of Christians uh, is something that. All Americans ought to be interested in because uh, it speaks about true persecution, um, uh, true displacement, um, true oppression in in various countries. And I think that um, this has not been paid attention to. And I I can tell you in my 20 years as being an attorney representing Assyrian Christians and others from these Middle Eastern countries, there's not been uh, much understanding, much sympathy. much empathy with with the experiences of these refugees. And this last prosecution uh, tells me a lot, and it tells the public a lot. Well, Narain, let me ask you, describe for us and the listening audience out there what the living conditions for Assyrian Christians are now and why you feel it's such a pressing issue and that they potentially are under, you know, the threat to their lives is very real. I mean, describe for us the situation so we can can, get a better sense of what it looks like. Yes, thank you, Dan, for having us. 
The living conditions in Iraq and Syria are horrendous beyond our imagination. And who are mainly targeted are the Christians, the Syrian Christians in Iraq and Syria. I mean, since 2003, we have decreased from 1.3 million to 300,000. I mean, there is an estimated total at one point that we were almost at 30 million when we weren't persecuted. Now, um, Noreen, just let right. me stop you for a second. Mm-hmm. It, these, are, these people are not leaving, many of them voluntarily. These people are leaving because they're being pushed out due to threats of violence, right? This isn't, some, this isn't a choice they made, a lot of the Assyrian Christians by themselves, correct? Exactly, because seeing the genocide, as the Secretary of State and uh, Congress had recently recognized that there's an actual Christian and Yazidi genocide happening, it didn't just start with ISIS, and there are many strategies of genocide, and one of them, besides the slaughtering, is the purge. So there, you know, when our homes were marked with and for Nazarene, when Sean and I had blasted it in 2014, and it was concealed this entire time, it was kept silent that they didn't want the genocide to get out to the rest of the world. They wanted to keep it silent. So, you know, the Nineveh was an Assyrian city that was invaded by ISIS. Mosul, another Assyrian Christian city invaded by ISIS. Khabur, another Assyrian Christian city invaded by ISIS. Those were the three main areas that were completely purged. And, of course, Sinjar for the Yazidis. We were purged in hundreds of thousands. And, you know, they executed many Assyrian Christians. Um, they recorded it. ISIS recorded it. That was something else that we had shared with the media, and they're killing us every day, Dan. Our lives, we have no safety in Iraq and Syria. And the DHS's main points across that I evaluated because I was in the court trial from the beginning until the end watching Robert's trial was that they were trying to point out that there is no Christian genocide in Iraq and Syria and that we are not mainly targeted for our religion. You know, it, it seemed like they were... Well, wait, hold on. Now, Ray, what are they saying... That you were targeted for, isn't it? That that's absurd. I mean, if if you this, now the number you just gave, correct me if I'm wrong. There were 1.3 million Assyrian Christians. Is that right now? 300,000. Yes. So what are they? I mean, what's the government's position on this? They just disappeared. Like this is like a you know an Aesop's fable, a fairy tale. Like oh, what happened? They just disappeared. I mean, what are they saying happened? It seemed like they were trying to point out that everyone is killed equally that the Christian genocide, there is no uh, main targeting towards Christians. But all they have to do is look at our population. Being the indigenous people of those areas, you would think that we would be the largest number, but we are the lowest. And not only that, do we suffer genocides, we're treated like second-class citizens every single day. You know, jobs, higher jobs are given to uh, Muslims over Christians. And that's something, I mean, all I wanted to do was tell them, why don't you go to Iraq and Syria and see if you will live equally? And, you know, they had coached the nine witnesses, they had coached them to say, when they were asked by the government agents, would you return back to Iraq right now? And believe it or not, they actually said yes. No Christian in their right mind would ever say they would return back to Iraq, because guess what? Once they've stepped into the United States, once they claim they are Christian, they are a target for execution. Well, Nareen, and I'm, Robert, I'm going to pose this last question to you, but just before I get there, the reason they don't want to go over there and look for themselves because they don't, I think it, you and I both know, they don't want the information. There's a difference. There's a, a brick wall, Maginot line to the truth. They don't want it because it conflicts with their ideology. But Robert, last question, and then I have to run for you. Um, are Christians having a tougher time applying for a refugee or asylum status than, say, uh, people who are Islamic of the exact same country? <laughs> 
Um, I think they are. Um, for example, just uh, recently I um, ha- heard of a number, uh, something like 2,300 uh, were admitted from Syria. Only four of those were Christian. Uh, in the session, about 10% is Christian. And uh, law, the law allows for vulnerable populations, such as Christians, to be particularly uh, um, uh, admitted uh, in terms of uh, refugee numbers and, and uh, asylum, but somehow that has been overlooked. And uh, uh, a question has to be asked, why? Why out of 2,300 uh, were only four Christians admitted just recently? Yeah. Well, Robert, I got to run. Robert Narain, uh, thank you very much for coming on to highlight uh, this, what I think thank is a Dan. travesty and of justice. And if everyone can visit the page to see how they can help, Stand with uh, say that again. What is the website? It's com, and his sentencing on by the judge is August third. So please pray for us. Stand with us. You know any type of support you can give us, we appreciate it. Um, And God bless you. You got it. Well, thank thank you, you, thank Thank you, you, Robert. I appreciate you. Got it. Wow, that was a troubling story, folks. Go check out the article as well. Foxnews.com by Holly McKay. It's uh, Iraqi American lawyer facing prison. For immigration fraud claims, he was uh, claims he was targeted for aiding Christians. Really a powerful piece, folks. Check it out. Hey, if you want a firearm that is easier to transport, you got to check out the U.S. Survival Rifle from our friends at Henry Repeating Arms. Now, it is a portable rifle that you can put together, take apart in just minutes. And then when you're not using it, you can store the parts in the little case that it comes in. It's so small, you can store it pretty much anywhere. And it's light enough to carry everywhere. Now it comes in black and two different camo patterns, and you can pick one up for three to four hundred bucks depending on the finish. Check out their videos. Go to their website. It's one word, henryusa.com slash survival. And while you're there, make sure you order their free catalog. Now Henry makes more than two hundred rifles and shotguns and revolvers, all made in America, all backed by a lifetime satisfaction guarantee and the best customer service in the business. Go to their website, henryusa.com. Get their free catalog. They'll send you free decals and a list of dealers where you are. That's HenryUSA.com. Free catalog decals for the Henry U.S. Survival Rifle. You know, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes and their families ever since 9-11. Now, hero first responders and service members, the people that serve our communities, our country, those who die in the line of duty, those who are catastrophically injured, veterans who have fought for our nation's freedoms only to return home, fall on tough times and become homeless. Heroes like Buffalo, New York, firefighter Jason Arno and his family. Now, Arno was killed while protecting his community. He was battling a warehouse fire. He left behind a wife and a young daughter. In their darkest hour, Tunnel to Towers provided Arno's wife and daughter with a mortgage-free home. The foundation lifted a financial burden, enabling them to stay in the home where they made their memories with their hero. Now, you can join the Tunnel to Towers Foundation on the mission to do good and support the families of America's greatest heroes, and that means the families of fallen first responders just like Jason Arno and Gold Star families with young children and catastrophically injured service members and also homeless vets. Please commit to $11 a month. Go to their website, the letter T, the number 2, the letter T.org, the letter T, the number 2, letter t.org for the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. A new dawn is coming to the U.S. stock market, and it's time to throw out the investment blueprint of the last decade and prepare for a massive shift. If you've lost money over the past two years, this changes everything. 
Hi, my name is Mark Chaikin, and I was hired to create three new indices for the NASDAQ based on what I've learned in 50 years on Wall Street. So believe me when I tell you this shift could send dozens of stocks soaring sky high in just the next 90 days. But this is an extreme setup I haven't seen in years since before the 2020 crash. The last time this happened, you could have more than tripled your money by just owning one stock. And I'm revealing this number one stock to buy today, 100% free of charge at newaistock.com. The question is why? Because everyday Americans will be impacted mostly by what's coming. And I want you to be on the right side of the table when this shift happens. Don't delay. Just visit www.newaistock.com.